Hello again, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. I'm your host, Greg Goins, and my special guest today is John Carippo, the executive director of Q, a non-for-profit organization in California that provides innovative professional development for teachers across the country. John is an Apple Distinguished Educator, Google Certified Innovator. He's also the founder of the Q Rockstar Series for school leaders and educators. He's the co-author of a wonderful book, The Edu Protocol Field Guide, 16 Student-Centered Lesson Frames for Infinite Learning Possibilities. He's also the co-designer of the Minaret High School in the state of California. He's a leader in the EdTech world, and I so thoroughly have enjoyed picking his brain about technology in the classroom during this special episode of the Reimagined Schools podcast. So sit back, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with John Carippo. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Reimagined Schools podcast. We have a great show today. I'm fired up. We have John Carippo in the house with us. How are you, John? I am super good today. It's Friday, man. Man, you are a busy guy. I just following your Twitter feed just makes me exhausted. I just can't imagine all the things you have going on. Um, you know, with your work and with uh, all the things you're doing? Well, you know, I don't know what to tell you about that. I hear that a lot. And I just, I just work as hard now as I do when I was a sixth grade teacher. And I get up every morning and I try to squeeze everything I can out of every day. It seems to be working out. And um, I've, oh, I guess over the years of 10 or 15 years of, of running like this, I've just kind of gotten used to it. So it's just yeah. normal for me. Yeah. You know, I was uh, uh, just thinking about this the other day. I, I love talking to people in, in the field that are truly technology experts. And, uh, I mean, you're an Apple Distinguished Educator. You're also a Google Certified Innovator. And I, I want to throw a couple of, uh, of thoughts that I've had over the years in my role as a principal and school superintendent. As I've kind of watched the, you know, technology, you know, enter the school. I was a first-year teacher in 1995, 96, and I remember getting on the Internet for the very first time. And, and just to see this, this transition of how we, we started there and now where we are today, uh, I just have a couple of things I want to throw at you. The first is uh, I was actually talking to uh, some other school administrators here this week uh, at a conference, and we were talking about computer labs. And, and that's always been something mm -hmm. that, that I've had mixed feelings about because we all know, um, you, you know, you, you still have those schools where everyone lines up at 1030 and we walk down to the computer lab like that's the only place uh, in the building that we can actually use technology and and I was yeah. telling these other school superintendents and principals I said you know what guys if I was in your shoes today I probably wouldn't spend another dime on building a new computer lab because everything's mobile no everything's a yeah, mobile no. device so what are your thoughts I'm on with that? you I am definitely with you on that like I, uh, my friend Mike Niehoff says, you know, probably in 10 years, schools will stop supplying computers. Everybody's going to have a device, dude. Like the one-to-one -one programs, those may be a phase. I want you to really think about that. If, if, if every kid has a cell phone or smartphone or an iPad or a device from age seven up, and I'm talking 10, 15 years ahead, mm -hmm. what, why would a school give them something? Right. It, it's nonsensical. 
And so uh, my be my best take on the lab was this. This was my real world. I just like to observe and and I, I watch what's going on and I look for patterns and then I say, this is not working. And so I start trying other things and looking for a different kind of pattern. So I used to be the guy who every Thursday was computer lab time. We're going down to the computer lab, you guys. And we're going to take roll. We're down to 39 minutes. Okay, i got to explain to you guys how to turn them on. We're down to 34 minutes. What am I going to get done in 26 minutes, Greg? Nothing. So what we actually did at our school was we switched that to uh, – uh, what we did was we, we did block time. So we, we all got together as teachers and said, look, we've only got the one lab for grades 4-8. So let's do this. I'll be in the lab every day from 8 to noon. You can be in the lab every day from one to three, and then I'll take two weeks off. To me, that's a lot more beneficial pedagogically than going into the lab for 45 minutes, of, which honestly, in, a lot of, in my area, the classic lab scenario was that um, it's, it's kids doing typing tutor or mini clip or a, a, a star learning test. You're not going to get anything out of that. That is where technology is a subtractive. But when we had it in the block, I would send my kids into the lab and we would have taken notes. Like let's say we're doing our ancient Rome report. We would have all our notes ready to go. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we'd be building slides. Thursday, we get to decorate them. We're adding pictures and fonts. And Friday, we have a slide showdown. That gets some crap done, right? But you're not going to get that kind of product if you only go once every week for 45 minutes. It's just not going to work. So that's a really easy fix. And guess what? I would do the same thing with carts, Greg. I if I had carts... I would, I would treat them like that. I would say you have block time for the cart. You got the cart all week, all morning, or all week, all afternoon, and then you take two weeks off because what, I, what scares me is I see districts that get, they start getting carts, and then they think they're one-to-one, -one and they're not. It's a totally different animal when you're one-to-one. -one. And uh, I think those, the, just taking that block approach is so much more productive. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up the one-to-one, -one, and that's a, that's almost a terminology that makes me cringe a little bit now, you know, after we've seen the big explosion here the last three to five years. But, you know, we have all these districts, and, and they're having these, you know, the big, the big debate in a lot of districts right now is are we going to have Chromebooks or are we going to have something else? And are we yeah. going to do BYOD or, or what's it going to be? And, uh, you know, the, the other part of this theory is um, – I think a lot of times teachers get a bad rap in general, and you hear, you hear things like, well, teachers aren't using the, the, the technology. They're afraid of it. They don't want to use it. I think, by and large, teachers yeah. are just, just as excited as kids are. I think they're just yeah. not sure I what to do. Yeah. They, the, what they don't know is the pedagogy, right? Almost every teacher that says they're not sure what to do with technology in the classroom has a Facebook an account and they're using Amazon, right? So it's not that they're uh, afraid or, or reticent to use technology. It's that they don't understand the pedagogical place of technology and, uh, and, and where does it fit in. And that's where I've been using the phrase a lot lately, which is uh, seamless use of technology. It's not tech for tech. It's, it, is, it is, in fact, technology that is being done um, to accelerate learning, to make more creativity and more, um, and more uh, communication and all those critical thinking things. When you take a classic school environment and the only two protocols that you are using is lecture and worksheet, and one day a week your other protocol is test, uh, that's a pretty low bar. That is a really low bar. Whereas 
if we add some other protocols to that, it makes it very uh, much more efficacious. And the irony is it's actually easier work if you do it correctly. Yeah, and I think that's a great segue into talking about your book a little bit. You're the co-author of a book with uh, Marlena Heburn, who's a technology consultant there in California where you are. And the name of the book is the Edu Protocol Field Guide, 16 Student-Centered Lesson um, Frames for Infinite Learning Possibilities. So how did that come about, and what kind of reception are you getting about the book? Well, uh, I'll tell you, we've sold uh, – Almost uh, 6,000 books since March. Uh, we have multiple school districts that are doing, uh, you know, school-wide studies where the whole staff is working through it. We've, the response has been really amazing. And um, the, it came about like this. Uh, Marlena and I are both in the zenith of our careers in terms of the classroom. Uh, between the two of us, we've got about 40 years of classroom uh, experience. And I had these couple of little things that I like to do in my classroom. Uh, the eight parts of speech was one of the original protocols. And then Iron Chef came later. And Marlena and I worked together at a county office of education. And we started kind of going, dude, when I die, where is this, where is this skill set going? You know, when I retire, what's going to happen? And so um, we started talking about, you know, we should probably do a, we should probably do a cool book that explains our knowledge base to people uh, in a way that it's really adoptable and adaptable. And guess what? We sure did. We did it. Uh, some interesting trivia for you, Greg. You'll love this. I'm, as you pointed out earlier, I'm super busy and on the road a lot. So I don't have time to sit at my computer all weekend with my cat and my little fireplace going and write my books. So a lot of it was um, uh, we did a lot of the book through Voxer. And so Marlena and I would talk through um, scenarios and and things we wanted to chat about on Voxer, and then she would go in and transpose those, and it, it, it was it came out really neat. Like a lot of people have commented, I like the way it sounds like you're talking with us and having a conversation, as opposed to you know just a book book. So that was kind of the genesis was how do we help these teachers transition? Because and and I think I could get a a high five from you on this, Greg. I. I I'm very sad about the legacy of No Child Left Behind and what it, what it did to the art and craft of teaching. Mm -hmm. And um, I think what happened was we ended up with a generation of teachers who believe that they cannot teach without a textbook. Without a teacher's edition, they do not know what would happen. And my personal aesthetic is uh, if I went back into the classroom right now, it would look like this. Uh, I, I don't need any books from you guys. I got this. I know exactly how to do this. And uh, so we wanted to hand off that information to that, that generation and then the pre-service teachers. In California, for example, one-third of the California teachers could, could um, retire at any time. One-third. Wow. There are 320,000 teachers in California. So I want you to imagine reloading 100,000 teachers over the next three to five years. And uh, uh, the pre-service teacher programs are only kicking out about 10 or 15,000 graduates a year. Yeah. I, I mean, education in general uh, just, just continues to get hit harder and harder each year. And, and fewer and fewer, um, you know, kids want to go into the profession, which is sad. Yep, exactly. So, um, uh, 
what we wanted to do is is truly bring the art of teaching back. Um, one of my big inspirations, which is a very interesting and kind of convoluted story, was the first district I worked in. They were into the Madeline Hunter lesson design, right? Mm -hmm. Good old Madeline Hunter. And we got taught seven steps. And we got taught this is how you get evaluated. Well, this is pretty funny because flash forward about 20 years in my career, I get to meet Madeline Hunter's son. Hmm. He he is a principal. Oh, wow. And uh I thought he was going to come across a table at me when I said, I love your mom's seven step lesson plan. He goes, dude, it's not seven steps. It's seven elements. <laughs> There's no order and you don't have to use all seven. You mix and match them like a master chef would. And sometimes you need more flour and sometimes you need more butter and sometimes you need more sugar. But in the end you want to end up with cookies, not tortillas. Right. And and you've got to have cookies. You've got to have all those things together. So um, um, uh, the the idea that we could hand off this idea of not being dependent on teachers pay teachers, not being dependent on um, a, a, t a district assigned uh, pacing guide was was really attractive to us in sharing this. Yeah. You know, the, the conversation about um... – being able to teach without the textbook really hits home for me. Uh, and I'll just share a couple things with you as a former superintendent. That was actually one of the questions that I would ask during the interview process. You know, yeah. if for yeah. whatever reason we could not provide you with a textbook, you think you would still be able to teach uh, innovative classroom lessons. And I, it's kind of funny, some of the different answers that I would get from some of these pre-service teachers. But then the other thing we did that we had great success with is uh, you're familiar with Matt Miller and the whole ditch that, textbook oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and homework and Matt's a great guy and I've had a chance to talk with him on a few occasions but we actually did a ditch that textbook day in my school district and I sent that out to our faculty and staff and, and gave them ample uh, time to prepare and, and still got some pushback on that but the feedback that I got from the kids after that was over was unbelievable the kids absolutely loved it and and ultimately a lot of our teachers really enjoyed that day and, yep. it, and it kind of shifted our mindset from there yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing is, in the end, are, is teaching about what we want and or is it about what the kids need? And that's why I like movements like hashtag observe me, hashtag shadow a student, because it's really about empathy. Right. And if you go sit and be a kid for two days, your perspective of what should be done with kids in class changes a lot. Because it's it's just I, I like to call it the edu gulag. Like you check yourself into the edu gulag six hours a day. Outside of school, you're fun, you're interesting, you can talk to your friends whenever you want, you can be in a sport. But inside of school, you gotta be quiet. You gotta take notes. And this is all I got. I got be quiet and take notes. That's that's, that's my whole big plan is be quiet and take notes. And what kids are rapidly figuring out is that. It, that does no kind of translation to success in real life. None. Yeah. I don't know of any jobs where being quiet and taking notes that are going to get it done. Yeah. What, what's your take on this whole digital generation and what, you know, we call them digital natives and, uh, and we've talked about that in previous shows here on the reimagined schools podcast. But uh, I mean, we, we talk about them like they're, they're aliens and all they want to do is have their nose in that smartphone. And, and we know that they want to be engaged and collaborate but, you know, we have to trust kids, too. We have to give them the opportunity to, to learn in multiple ways. You know, I think I just saw Alice Keeler put out a tweet not too long ago talking about the fact that the goal should not be 
to become paperless in every classroom. There's still value in pencil and paper. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of times when um, I have lesson plans where the kids are going to use Wikipedia on their device, right? They, they, so I don't need a textbook because if you look up Wikipedia, you can become an expert on anything in about 10 or 15 minutes. You can get the whole package. And then maybe they're doing a Freyer model on paper. You know what? Because sometimes it's just faster to not run two tabs. That's okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not a paperless classroom guy. I'm paper light. Uh, the inverse of paperless is I'm a slave to paper and all I know is paper. And when I have a problem, I photocopy a bunch of stuff to keep the kids quiet. That's the flip side to paperless. Yeah. Yeah. And we also talk about, uh, you know, the Google generation. And I've had this conversation with a lot of people. Um, you know, Google is a great way to seek out information, but if your students can quickly Google the answer to your questions in class, it probably wasn't a very good question to start with. You're not doing it right. Yeah. That's an activity I do with some districts called the four C's throwdown and the four C's throwdown goes like this. I want you to just kind of, you know, cause where this is audio only, so it's already theater of their mind, but I just want you to take this visual is I want you to imagine a classic worksheet, right? Here's a classic worksheet. So what I do is I show a picture of that to the audience and I have them discuss with with each other. What is the four C's potential of doing a classic worksheet? What is the creativity potential? Well, it's not super high because typically you're going to have a teacher's guide and you're going to have right and wrong answers. So the creativity is not, not super tight there. You've now have, um, what is your communication potential? Well, you can't let kids talk about the worksheet or guess what? That's cheating, Right. You can't let them work on it. And I would argue that doing the evens and odds is outsourcing, not collaboration. And, and, and a typical worksheet, there's a quote, I think it's from David Guren, and it says if they, if they can do the worksheet without you, they don't need it. And if they can't do the worksheet without you, then they shouldn't be doing it, right? And it's like, man. So the default is worksheet. So I have everybody talk about it, and I say, uh, okay, so I need you guys to vote 10 points for creativity, 10 points for communication, 10 points for uh, collaboration, and 10 points for cr uh, critical thinking. What is the potential of each of those 10-point categories? Add them up. So I let them get a number, and then I put up a Kahoot survey. And on the Kahoot survey, they can vote for 0 points, 10 points, 20 points, or 35 plus. And they vote. And usually people come in, you know, at around 12 to 20 points. Uh, on the worksheet. And I go, well, that's cool. You know, and I'm not trying to villainize worksheets and I know teachers that can make those really good. Then I show them a thing that is uh, diametrically opposed to that. So instead of a worksheet on missions, California missions are a big thing out here for fourth graders or a state report, right? I say, what if they made their state report in Minecraft? What if they did a documentary uh, as a team of three? What if they, uh, a friend of mine named Matt Vaudry does a lesson called the mullet ratio. And on the mullet ratio, he's got a picture of various Hollywood personalities with mullets. And he's teaching the kids how to do ratios with the business over party ratio. And, and then he has them do activities like scatter plotting the staff. How mullety are they, right? And down at zero, zero, you have Bruce Willis. And up at nine, nine, you got Billy Ray Cyrus. And it's, it's a raucous, open-ended, exciting, interesting, I can't wait to do that tomorrow kind of event instead of 14 is B, 15 is C. And then I have them vote on that. So what's the four C's potential of the mullet ratio? And almost every time the, uh, the, the crowd swings very much to that. So that's a, that's a thing that any administrator can easily do. You know, take a classic assignment like a state report and then have your teachers vote on the potential. Uh, then 
then you, you look at a, an advanced version of the same subject matter, but done in a far more collaborative, hands-on way. And, you, and you're, what, you're, what I'm trying to do is get people to understand that you can raise your palate. You can be a more of a connoisseur of lesson design than my workbook is better than your workbook. Because when you're in that, my workbook is better than your workbook bottle. This is another analogy I've been sharing with people. I can't wait to see what you think of this, Greg. I want you to visualize that every school in America is, an, is a gas station, right? And it's some brand name gas station. So it's AMPM out west. And how do they cook their hot dogs at those places, Greg? They put them on those little rolly things, right? Right. A little hot dog rolly thing. Now, every school in America is cooking their hot dogs on the rolly thing. They don't know about boiling them. They don't know about barbecuing them. They don't know even about microwaving. The only way they know how to cook a hot dog is on the rolly thing. Greg, do those, do those gas station hot dogs, they usually have chili dogs? They usually do not. Have they ever heard of a Chicago dog? They usually have not. Um, and so all of these school slash gas stations are trying to make their hot dogs better, but they're all cooking them on the rollers. And they're all getting their hot dogs and their buns from the same place. I would like you to tell me how you can actually make them better in that environment. Because mm. at some point, you're going to have to change the way you cook the hot dog. And you're going to have to change the things that go with the hot dog. Otherwise, all the schools are going to be the same. And I visit a lot of schools, and I suspect you do too. Every school I go to thinks they have this magically unique problem that nobody else can solve. And I'm like, dude, I've been to three schools this week. You guys all have the same problem. You don't know what to do without a textbook. You don't know how to integrate technology. Um, you don't know how to be nice to the kids uh, in a way that you're creating a culture of learning as opposed to the classic way of everybody has to be quiet. I see pretty much the same problem as schools all over the place. Mexico City, they got all my same jokes. I went to New Jersey, as far east as I could go in the United States. Same jokes, all make sense because I think we're all the same gas station and don't realize it. Yeah. And don't you also think we spend so much time talking about the what in terms of what tool, you know, what's the flavor of the month? What can we use next instead of spending time talking about the why? I mean, using Flipgrid is great, but, I, you know, you look on Twitter right now, uh, you know, how many tweets are you going to see about how great Flipgrid is? Yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. As much as I like Flipgrid, but it's the it's the fad of the year, right? right? A year ago, it was Kahoot. The year before that, it was WeVideo. The year before that, it was. And my question is, is what's the long play? What's the long play on this? Uh, and and the long play is pedagogy. And, and I'll, I'll branch off what you said there, Greg. I am sick and tired of this. Oh, well, you know, I teach fourth grade, so I can't work with those guys. You know, Absolutely. They're eighth grade. I have no idea what they do. Uh, I teach math. They have no idea. Guess what, Greg? Three-act math is three-act math, whether you're TK or college. It's, it's three-act math, okay? Um, jigsaw lessons that use uh, Google Slides or PowerPoint Slides online uh, in, a, in the Iron Chef format are every grade level. That is every grade level. And we are focusing on, I know everything about my content, but I know nothing about my pedagogy. And that is the insidious part. I know everything about Shakespeare. I'm an expert on holes or, you know, the book, right? Or I'm an expert on, on math, but I don't really have any technique. I've built my career around being the opposite of that. I don't know a lot of content, but I can teach you anything. Yeah. You just tell me where you want to go. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And 
You know, and also, I, you've probably followed this in the news here recently. Uh, probably the big news that's blowing up in terms of education right now is LeBron James has opened up a new school in Ohio, the I Promise School. And so they have right. all these innovative things they're going to do. And I hope it's successful, and I can't wait. If I get the opportunity to go, uh, I'm not very far from uh, the state of Ohio yeah. right here in Kentucky. I would love to go visit one day. But, uh, you know, I know you had a chance to help co-design the Minaret School. So, I mean, can you just talk a little bit about that process? And, you know, if you're yeah. ever in a position to co-design a school, what are you looking for in 2018? Well, the irony is I want, I want prolific technology, but it's not about the technology. It is about the culture of learning. And if you read, I'm, I'm going to, for your listeners, I'm going to drop some knowledge right now. John Taylor Gatto, Dumbing Us Down. You got to read that book. The End of Average by Todd Rose. You got to read that book. If you don't know how codependent it is that we ape, uh, and I'm, I'm being very careful of using the word ape as in to mimic, okay, the, the teaching aesthetic based on what was done to us, okay, and l until we understand how we got here, we are in deep trouble. And what happens is if you try to make a school that's just cleaner and just shinier and just has more laptops, you're going to get essentially the same results. And I'm going to throw some names out. How did Gates do? He threw 200 million at it. How did Zuckerberg do? A hundred million. But they're still building this castle of education on a, on a, on a faulty, um, uh, a faulty um, foundation. I couldn't find the word foundation in my head. Um, they 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 always are focused on uh, what program will we buy and what will the bell schedule be and all those kinds of things. You need to start looking at things like uh, what High Tech High does. Are we familiar with High Tech High out oh, absolutely. in uh, San Diego? Yeah. yeah, they're featured in the uh, Ted they're, they're featured in yeah they're featured in the uh, most likely to succeed. I, I think you've talked to Ted in the past. Yeah. What he's doing is backing out all the way and he's letting all of the traditional things that make school quote good he is willing to let any of those go if they get in the way of an effective learning culture and that's if you were going to start a school from scratch that's a big deal one of the things uh that i'm really proud of is um we we came up with by accident uh this idea of a smart start and so what we did was um, we're starting up this school, uh, the one you're talking about, Minarets, and about a week before school, I realized this, Greg, if we don't, uh, if we don't change the way we do this, we're going to end up with a regular old school. And so what we did was we paused academics for the first week of school, and we, um, uh, we, we focused on building culture and teaching kids how to learn. So we did things like the marshmallow challenge. We treated the first day of school like camp. Here's another moment for you. Um, we send our kids to camp, and they don't know anybody there, right? That's the cliche. Oh, I don't, want, I don't know anybody at camp. I don't want to go to camp. What, what's, what does it look like on Friday when the buses are taking them home? They're all crying. Camp created that culture in a week. We have kids for 180 days, and at the end of 180 days, they can't wait to get the heck out. Yeah. And I think, dude, why aren't we doing that? Or you can look at another, I think, another seminal article from 1998 uh, by, oh, my gosh, my brain's going dead right now, uh, Herb Childress. 
And the title of the article is 17 Reasons Football is Better Than High School. <laughs> and he specifically says in there that he's not picking football because he likes it. He's actually picking football because he does not like football. And, uh, and he talks about the fact that kids sit and listen. Most of their time in school is boredom and listening and subjugation. And those same kids, those same exact kids after school will do more, push harder, and try harder uh, for, for their coaches and counselors after school than they ever would during school. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And that, that, that article, 17 Ways Football is Better Than High School, is actually from 1998. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we're coming up on, let's see, 2018, right? That's 18 years. 1998 is two more back. We're coming up on 20 years. Yeah. And what's changed in education? We're supposed to be experts. Where, what are we leading in? color worksheets instead of black and white or uh, I can scan my worksheet in and grade it. I'm not, I'm not ready to call that innovation. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you hundred percent. And uh, you know, the, the school we're talking about is the Minarets high school out in California. And I think it opened around 2008 and uh, you know, they've had some success and it's interesting to, to now, I, I guess you're going to be able to look at some data as to, you know, some of the the positives that have happened over the last 10 years. Have you had a chance to, to catch up or do you stay in close contact with those folks? Yeah, actually I stay pretty close. My daughter's actually a sophomore there. Oh, so, um, great. That, that works out pretty good. Um, so, uh, they, they, they've got two admins, um, Daniel Chang and Patrick Wilson have done a really good job of keeping that thing working. Um, in our in our original field and i can tell you this much greg uh the, the school is located about 26 miles outside of fresno and there's no town between the school and fresno uh, they have something like four busloads of kids that take a 26 mile bus ride both ways to go to a non-public school to go to minarets charter high school mm. so how does that feel for a success right and if you could put your leader hat on here for a few minutes I, you know we have a lot of listeners getting ready to go back to start another school year here in the fall of 2018 so you know what's what's some inspiration you can provide them and kind of give them some positive vibes as they head back to to work with kids well, I would say the first thing is uh, I got this quote from a friend of mine named Andrea Bennett, and she's uh, she's an ed tech leader in California, and we were doing some deep dives for a, a school district, and we were going around the table about this and that and how technology integrates with pedagogy and all these things, and in the end, Andrea said, you know, it's important to understand that uh, the technology is is there to be used to raise healthy human children. And I think, you know, that's huge. It's not about the highest possible scores. It's not about um, who gets to college. It's about healthy human beings. Because the reality of it is the world we live in now, getting to college is no kind of guarantee of anything except owing somebody 140000 bucks. Right. But having people that can grow up and have a sense of empathy. And I've seen, I think it was my friend John Ike said, what if, what if empathy was graded in school? What if we had an empathy grade? What would be the impact on our culture? if empathy was valued at a very high level by school. Wow. And I'll tell you what, people that have empathy write better essays. People that have empathy uh, do more things with math to help local nonprofits. People that have empathy work harder to make documentary films to share the plight of their neighborhood. 
we're missing empathy pretty big, I think. And I think if you could start uh, looking as a leader at how, how do I bring empathy and honest empathy, not driven by Jolly Ranchers and licorice, like true empathy, like kids actually working together, the kids have the tools to do that. And so I think we can, I think we can, uh, that's a great place to start. And I mentioned Smart Start earlier. Think about how you can do whole school activities to build that kind of idea, uh, ideation, iteration. Uh, here's a quick and easy one, Greg. We used to have all of our kids countywide would do the marshmallow challenge on one given day of the first day of the year. Okay, so let's say Thursday morning, everybody, K-12, does the marshmallow challenge. And the top two, ten, uh, top two teams from the marshmallow challenge in the morning would do a build-off at lunch, okay? and then after lunch, the kids would come back into their classrooms, and there's actually a nine-minute TED Talk about the, the brain science behind the marshmallow challenge. Guess what happens? Guess what happens? Kids are like, wow, that's amazing. That's the potential of what you can do by starting off your first week. We used to show um, – we used to show, you know, the uh, the uh, the TED Talk, the 30 million view TED Talk by Sir uh, Sir Ken Robinson about yeah. creativity. Great. We showed that school wide. We showed that we showed that to kids. Oh, that's and awesome. there were actually a couple of teachers that came to us and said, "Hey, um, I'm not sure that we should let the kids watch that." <laughs> and we said, "Why? Well, they're going to be harder to control." And I said, "Maybe that's kind of what I'm going for." <laughs> you know, it's like, why would I deny them? Sir Ken Robinson's take on education uh, as part of, of, of my plan. So I think that, uh, I think that that's, there's, there's some, some things you can do that are school or district wide. I think it could be really big deal. Yeah. Yeah. Well, John, I could talk to you all day. I, I love, uh, I love your mind. I love the way you uh, think about not only education, but professional development for educators. You've been uh, called a rock star on many occasions, and, and you certainly are. So I appreciate your time today. Hey, it's fun. I, I consider an honor to be in your pantheon of uh, speakers. And uh, if anybody wants to chat further, I'm at Jay Carippo on the Twitters. And my, my, uh, my self and prose mantra is, is if you tweet me, I will answer. And so uh, I love if, if somebody's, you know, if, they, if they're listening to what we're talking about and they have pushback or points that they're not clear on, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready to keep talking. Yeah, well, I appreciate your time once again. Be sure to follow John on Twitter. Uh, you're at Jay Carippo, correct? At Jay Carippo, yeah. If you tweet, and here's a good one for your non-techie people. If you tweet at at J-O-N Carippo, that's the first Twitter handle I made, which I tweeted exactly one time and then lost the password. So <laughs> guess what? Not everybody is always good at everything the first time, and I'm okay with that. Well, there you go. So anyone out there struggling that first day with technology, just remember the great John Carippo even struggled with his Twitter account. <laughs> Look it up, at John Carippo, one tweet, and it says, where is my friend? <laughs> That's no hashtag, nothing. And then I lost the password. Yeah. Well, have a great summer. Have a great fall, and thanks for your time today. And to all of our listeners out there, thanks so much for listening to another edition of the Reimagined Schools podcast. And as always, do what you can in your school and community to create better schools for kids.